Oh, by the way, Matt, I, yep. um, on our drive out to Itasca, I put on the Pizzle Pack, and yeah. oh, and John and I were just bumping some Pizzle Pack. Dude, he goes hard on the bass in so many of those. Songs. Oh, I mean, T-Pain going hard on the bass. Uh, some of those beats, though, just got, like, incredibly annoying in a matter of, like, 20 seconds. Just too repetitive or yeah. experimental? Yeah. Uh, you know what? Some of them are pretty solid. I, I like what we found, and we're going to keep using it, I guess. I think so. Until we find something different. But for now. Or until one of our friends makes something for us. Yeah. But let's get into this. Welcome everyone to Up and Over. I'm Blake. And I'm Matt. Today we're going to talk about purgatory. (laughs) No. I mean, in an extent. Um, We're going to be talking about youth soccer, development, and the transfers of players from the U.S. to Europe and what issues uh, they have to overcome in order to play at the elite uh, level. So, But I guess to start things off, we need to get one thing straight. It's that European soccer is king. Uh, with numerous clubs formed at the turn of the 20th century, competition has always been exciting, but more importantly, it has had over a century to develop to what it is today. So... With the gargantuan leagues in England, France, Spain, Germany, and Italy filled with global talent, players have honed their craft, which is of great benefit to their home countries come time for the World Cup. Wouldn't you agree, Blake? Yeah. Yeah. Indisputable. I mean, you got to find a good team if you're going to be playing at a World Cup level and finding a lot of players in a lot of good places. Um you kind of know which countries are going to be lucrative come the next World Cup. Um, And then conversely, there's the United States, uh, a bit behind in terms of league age. The MLS just turned 26 this last year, and therefore the caliber of competition is lower. And, you know, some people might really get up in arms with me about that, but when you've got to compare it to the age of clubs in Europe back to 1899, and then the MLS only being 26 years of age, it's it, you can't compare the quality of play there. Um, I, I would say that you could expect the MLS to reach that level of play, but I wouldn't think for another 50 years. If I'm being if I'm being frank, I, I hope, man, it's not that long. Uh, my hope is in the next 20 years we're we're able to see not an MLS All Star team facing you know, European clubs, but any club in MLS being able to go and face, you know, your average European team. Yeah, I completely agree. But with that being said, you'd think our top talent would simply shift into European leagues given they get called up, but it's not that simple. And this is because FIFA regulates how and when youth talent can become eligible to play in Europe Uh, In 2009, FIFA decided to ban the transfer of players under the age of 18 with three exceptions. One, the child's parents change countries for reasons unrelated to football. Two, the transfer takes place between countries of the EU or the European Economic Area. 
um, with the player being between the ages of 16 and 18. And then lastly, uh, the player and the club of designation belong to countries no more than 50 kilometers from the border. Um, this, this is more, so I'd say put into place. So parents aren't just sending their children off into Europe on a lottery kind of end to see if they can make it in club soccer and then make that uh, high end money that is so sought after on a global scale. So it is, I'd say a good thing to have in place on a grand scheme to, I'd say protect youth from just not having a home. Um, if they just get tossed into these countries in Europe from elsewhere. Um, but Conversely, what we're going to be talking about are the issues it has caused uh, in in, a, in small discrepancies. Yeah, but if we're going to go off the proximity uh, rule, let's get this trending, folks. Uh, let's get the hashtag bring back Pangea trending on, on Twitter. I, I know it can happen with our uh, loyal fan base of, you know, 20 to 50 followers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Start somewhere. I'll start somewhere, Matt. Before you know it, Thursday afternoon is going to come around and hashtag bring back Pangea. It's going to have, I don't know, there'll be a, a million people. A million people. Do you think it's going to move at, at a tectonic scale or a little bit faster than that? Um, realistically, Matt, probably a tectonic scale. <laughs> But we'll still give it a go. Why not? We'll, we'll be the first. There it is. So if we're going to have to wait, I don't know, a few hundred million years for for Pangea to reform, I guess we can't use the proximity rule because as far as I know, we're not 50 kilometers from Europe. Um, hold yeah, on. Let me pull out the map. Are. Uh, no, no, we are definitely not 50 kilometers oh, okay. from Europe. So I guess we're going to have to deal with uh, either waiting, I guess, till our youth or at the age of 18. And uh, yeah, uh, let's let's talk about a few young examples that, that we have right now. Um, let's start with Weston McKinney, right? We did our, our first episode on uh, McKinney was the hire of several European clubs, um, not able to go to Europe, however, to sign with Schalke until he turned 18. In the process of doing so, he turned down a massive homegrown contract with FC Dallas. All right. So example number one. Example number two, someone who is still in the MLS, Brendan Aronson, who has had a, a fantastic year uh, with Philadelphia Union, uh, is now 19. He's moving across the pond to RB Salzburg, where he'll be under the tutelage of American manager Jesse Marsh beginning in January 2021. Christian Pulisic, one of the lucky ones, was able to obtain a Croatian passport through family heritage uh, and able to head to Europe at the age of 16 to try and make himself make a name for himself in the Bundesliga with Borussia Dortmund. Obviously, you, that's gone yeah. well. Yeah. And Chelsea. Yeah. You could say he was literally grandfathered into European soccer because uh, his grandfather of Croatian descent was the reason why Pulisic was able to acquire that passport. Right. So we have Weston McKinney, Brennan Aronson, both had to wait till they turned 18 to go. Christian Pulisic 
one of the few lucky ones able to go before turning 18. Uh, now I want to talk about Caden Clark. Uh, Caden Clark is 17, could already be playing in Europe, uh, but he does not have the means to get to Europe to play within the framework that FIFA has established. His family was unable to find uh, enough of a, a line of a connection with his family's Austro-Hungarian ancestry. Uh, now, to drive this point further, he just recently signed with Red Bull New York. When I say just recently, I mean like a week and a half ago. He made his first appearance that same day. He signed the contract in the morning, made his first appearance off the bench, and scored a fantastic goal, and then turned around and signed a contract to move to Bundesliga sister club RB Leipzig in January 2022, just a day or two after he signed the contract with Red Bull New York. If I haven't made my point enough, here's the nail in the coffin. At the age of 13, he was invited to the U.S. Club Soccer ID2 trip to Spain, which is one of the more prestigious youth tournaments in Europe. It was there his family was approached by FC Barcelona scouts, where they were told there was a spot for Caden in their famed La Masia Academy if he only had a Spanish passport. Did he have a Spanish passport? No. No, he did not. So, he is now 17. We'll have to wait till he turns 18 to go across the pond. Now, the question is, right, with the exception of Christian Pulisic uh, and the few others who were able to make their way to Europe before the age of 18, where would these current players, this young crop of players, be in their careers had they grown up in the European academies as opposed to the national academies? I mean, yeah, I, I just imagine if Caden Clark had been in Barcelona for four years now. Right. I mean, I, he's had a he's had one heck of a debut with Red Bull New York, but you do just have to wonder what his uh, play would be like or at at his current age of seventeen if he was able to stay in Barcelona at the age of thirteen. We'll never know, but we're also I'm can say for the both of us we're extremely happy that he's making that move uh so soon but let's uh let's take a short break matt and bring back our friend peter for our double dummy we got we got our dummy coming back for more good old peter hopkins gonna bring us some more questions whatever poop comes out of the faucet so be it well because that's that's gonna go in what because we caught that on audio you know so yeah peter didn't you know we can't edit this peter (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's out of our hands it's in it's in zencaster's ballpark now you know (laughs) make me feel feel so bad but no no we're good we're good we're moving forward blake's got a sandwich i've got a beer matt's got water we're uh, oh whoa don't count me out we got a beer too okay my apologies (laughs) all right i guess i did have a few questions for you guys um so you know i know you guys have kind of turned to the podcast out of a number of reasons but COVID, you know it's affecting everybody do you have any specific things you've gotten into or better at since COVID has started Aside from doing yeah, this podcast, like anything in your life, do you make better food? I've definitely tried 
new recipes. Not a ton. Um, I have a really good one dish meal that I've been enjoying, which is, you know, some chopped up veggies. You got some whatever you know, meat of choice. Uh, and then you throw in some black beans, can of tomatoes, diced tomatoes, and then a little bit of vegetable broth. And then lastly, you throw in a cup of rice, let that all simmer. It's not, it's not quite a gumbo or a jambalaya because there's, there's no seafood, but it's kind of, a, it's on the borders of what that would taste like. And, you know, you can add as much spice to it or as little spice to it as you'd like. And, you know, that lasts me a few days and it's delicious. You call it a gumbalaya? Time. I'd be lying if I didn't. What about you, Blake? Um, surprisingly, I've not got into food as much as uh, I thought I would considering how much I enjoy cooking. It's been a month out in Montana, doing a lot of camping, hiking around there. This last weekend, I did a little backpacking trip up in Itasca, got the first snowfall that was freezing. Um, but just spending more time outdoors, I suppose, since I couldn't really be anywhere close with people um, doing some camping and whatnot. <laughs> It's like you're walking off into the distance while talking to us. And slowly and slowly we hear you listen. The mic right here, bro. I th- I th- you got you got to put some more gas into your microphone for He's like that guy that, that has that conversation of walks away expecting us to follow him but we don't. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Matt answer that Netflix. Netflix is one thing that I uh, like not regularly, but I've gotten better at watching some stuff. Previously, you know, not as much. I did finish New Girl, so that's pretty surprising. I'm not necessarily looking for any recommendations, but I haven't been very consistent. What do you guys think? If you haven't watched BoJack Horseman, you need to do that. Um, so since you just finished New Girl, I just want to know what two characters do you think you, you're a mix of, uh, Peter? <clears throat> Winston and Nick, I know you said that earlier, but Winston's goofy and clever and charming. He's he's hilarious. He's a little bit weird. Nick, he's uh, you know, he's he's a pretty good guy. He's he's also a little bit weird, a little bit uh I don't know, you know, he's kind of a slacker in some ways, kinda, you know, maybe not entirely an adult at certain times, but he, he gets there. You know, it takes time. Uh, but he, he kinda right comes now, into his right own. Now. So that's yeah, that's still fun. Mm-hmm. Right on. I would highly recommend watching the show Dark if you haven't already. It's a German show. It is in German. You can listen to it with English dubbing, or I prefer it with the subtitles. Um, kind of deals with yeah. wormholes, timelines, parallel timelines. So, it's extremely kind interesting. Kind of like uh, Inception. Is it hour-long episodes? They are hour-long episodes, yes. Maybe not like Inception per se, but more like an amped up Stranger Things as far as it is a little bit okay. more explicit. Okay. Stranger Things, which I have yet to, I will I, at some point, you know, that'll be a priority in my life, but <laughs> not right now. Not right now. But uh, as usual, it's good talking to you guys, catching up. Hope uh, things go well with the podcast. Have a good one. All right. Thanks for yeah. swinging in, Peter.
welcome back from the double dummy. We're going to get right to it and kind of discuss the next subsequent tier. If our youth can't overcome the hurdles that FIFA has in place uh, to get them to Europe at a younger age than 18, well, that means we have to rely on our youth development programs. Isn't that right, Blake? <laughs> uh-huh. You and I have talked at length about this. Yes, we uh-huh. have. And we're just going to um, scratch the surface I, today, but... <laughs> No, this is this is going to be a good conversation. So, I I started playing at the age of three. I think I was probably five, like four three, or five. Oh yeah, three to five. I I I think I remember kicking the ball around at around age three. Probably actually getting into a team at age five when right. they allowed that. Um. So I always had fun with it, and I was very appreciative that my parents always would say like. You need to have fun first and foremost. So I'm going to put this out here saying enjoying playing a sport as a kid is the priority and the most important thing. Um, If they don't enjoy playing the game anymore, don't make them. If there's any parents listening to that, you know, if if they're tired of playing the sport, either let them have a break, don't make them play. They're not enjoying it. They're not going to progress. Um, But with that being said, youth development in sports is critical for their long-term success in the sport. So what are the differences between youth development here in the US and over in Europe? Um, Well, in an article written by Albert Puig, who was a former FC Barcelona youth technical director, and now an assistant coach at New York City FC, uh, he discusses those differences specifically. And and he breaks down the differences between US and Europe into three stages, uh, ages six to 12, 12 to 16 and 16 to 18 spoiler alert Puig finds Europe to be ahead in all three stages in terms of development. Could have told you that. (laughs) I, yeah, I, I, to some people it's probably no surprise, but let's kind of dive into this a little bit further. Um, specifically discuss those age groups. So ages six to 12 deals with, you know, he says it's the coordination development stage and he, and Puig stresses that in these stages, Uh, it's important for players to play freely, to learn what they themselves are good at on the field. Uh, Europe is ahead of the U.S. here, simply based on the sport being intertwined so deeply in their culture. However, since there's no pressure for success at this age in the U.S., the U.S. youth tend to feel more free and open to creativity as well as uh, making errors without consequence. I I sure remember making some stupid decisions as a player, but you know, you... I'm still laughing about them. Yeah. I don't know if I can say the same, but I was just so hard on myself. So, uh, Oh, and okay. <laughs> <laughs> what about the next age group, Blake? Um, ages 12 to 16. Uh, this is where Puig says cognitive development of the game is key. Right, This is where coaching is crucial since this is the age group where you're teaching concepts to players and therefore creating a basis of fundamentals, which the players make decisions throughout the game. Uh, Puig says that Europe is better at cognitive development since the coaching methods are overall richer than here in the U S. Uh, have you ever heard the term student of the game being used, right? This is exactly where that comes in. This is the stage where players will learn the most about the decision-making processes. Yeah, I I distinctly remember this period of time entering um, a higher level club play 
and noticeably the coaching and, and fortunately the coaching was a lot stronger and that I, I immediately saw the result cognitively for me on the field. I, I felt like I was a much smarter player. Um, and then therefore it made me a better technical player on my knowledge of what I needed to do on the field. I, I can agree. Unfortunately, I didn't have that club experience, but Matt, where you and I initially met at the the Luther soccer elite camps, that was like my first big, um, really the first big like cognitive development piece that I had had. And that more so just came from playing at and with a higher level of player, right? Their understanding and then just having to develop and like process things faster. That's also a way to do that but what i'm trying to get at here is that what you have access to is a big piece of how great the coaching is and whether or not you can get that cognitive development and that really was not a big piece for me yeah i we'll come back to that in a moment we'll kind of wrap up what this article discusses and i think we can we should touch on that more specifically but um, we kind of wraps up saying that in this age group, the United States has the greatest potential for cognitive development. Um, He says American children are usually, usually disciplined and are cognitively talented, AKA they are fast learners. Therefore, if the coaching level increases on a whole, the player level will also increase. Um, And then lastly, ages 16 to 18 is the competitive stage. Europe has had a much higher level of competition than the United States, just based as we said at the beginning, these clubs have been around for over a hundred years now. So therefore it's going to have a trickle down effect into the youth development. Competition's going to be higher. They're going to already know what that level of play looks like at a much younger age. So in order to compete on a global stage, the U S needs to increase the overall development level through coaching across the United States and continue pushing players who are willing to seek clubs overseas. All right, now that we've broken down the levels of development with U.S. soccer, as well as describing the hurdles that need to be overcome to getting players to Europe. Um, And as it seems we are reliant on our youth development, we're going to dive a little bit further into some of the other issues that underlie youth development here beyond just the development stages based on age group. Um, For instance, the U.S. registers 3 million youth soccer players annually, so there's certainly talent that's being overlooked. I mean, these numbers probably look different 10, 20 years ago, but I can't imagine the development has changed drastically since 10, 20 years ago. And, you know, as a result, we found ourselves in a sticky situation and 20 qualifying for the 2018 world cup in to the point where we did not. Um, and that I think just radiates and sends shockwaves from our top tier down to the core and youth levels of us soccer as a whole, like, what it's supposed to build up to that and if you're not doing that exactly right you're going to find yourselves in a situation um 
where you don't qualify for the World Cup. And off the top of my head, I can think about, I think there was a period of time when Germany either failed to qualify or just got knocked out of group stages. So they seriously intervened on their youth development. They changed the system. They started from the ground up and not, not 10 years later or so they won, they hoisted the world cup. It has to be done from the ground up. Can't just be made with simple changes at the top. It, it needs a complete overhaul. And Matt, I was in Mexico when we failed to qualify for the World Cup. I remember text message conversations between you and I spanning days about uh, U.S. Soccer Federation uh, and all the changes that we want to see. And a big part of that was in youth development. Um, we felt that there was no continuity, uh, no conformity to U.S. soccer. And, uh, to some extent, um, maybe, maybe a large extent accessibility, as I mentioned before, is, is part of this problem, but this also, uh, gets into, you know, bigger topics like the, the pay to play model that we have in the U S which Matt, I know that you and I are, are trying to work on a, a limited series about this topic. So we don't necessarily want to dive too much into that, but, it's to put in to put in a brief and relevant perspective. Um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic tweeted out about his time spent in the U.S. and how for him to get his kids to play at a good level of soccer here, he had to shell out thirty five hundred dollars a child to play club soccer. Granted, that might be. No, I yeah, 3500. There's no granted to that situation. Grant no. he lives in he lived in California at the time. But there's That's, no reason yep. a kid in California has to pay $3500 to play at a good level of soccer as I, does somebody as say us as kids in the Midwest. That's which, pretty much just club fee too, right? That doesn't include the travel that goes into to play uh, and everything else that goes with travel, right? Accommodations, food, etc. That is pretty much that's just for coaching. Fee. Yeah, that's just for coaching. Maybe tournament fees. So there's a lot that we can get into there, Matt, and I'm excited for when we do do this. But um, continuity between or, or within U.S. soccer just does not seem to be there. And, and I have huge interests uh, in being a coach one day in, in the future, hopefully sooner than later. And I've looked into like getting my coaching license and even going through certification with U.S. youth soccer, uh, with the U.S. youth soccer program. Um, and that seems like that would be the easiest way to, to create some conformity is to have all youth soccer coaches be you know have to, to receive this teaching so that everyone essentially is uh teaching the sport the same way and there's this conformity from the ages even down under six right 
all the way through through the ranks to the national team. Um, and don't get me wrong, I loved like having my my dad as a coach or my mom as a coach when I was growing up. But so oftentimes you just have these parents who step in as a coach in like these rec leagues that you play in as as a really young kid and they may not know so much how to coach or what it's just about you know going out and letting the kids have fun which again i loved um but there's no conformity in that even getting into you know 10 12 years old when you're looking at getting onto clubs as as a you know preteen or teenager then you start getting into accessibility issues and and whatnot and it's it's just difficult to to make it as a a professional or a hopeful professional player one day it it just seems almost impossible from from what i grew up in i i mean i've had some similar coaching to that too where i had parents coaching maybe not my parents, but other parents. And I'm not, you know, grateful to have the opportunity to be playing period. Right. But that just brings so much inconsistency. I played on two teams in the same year between two towns because I mean, they were different leagues more or less because one had literally just resurrected itself and the other one had been established. But honestly, they were at the same level. One one that had freshly started to one that had been around for a number of years. Um, that shouldn't be the case. Maybe so if you have coaching at a universal level for a baseline. Um, yeah, some of these things are just really frustrating to look back on. And But yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, I, there just has to be a clear path Eh, maybe not super clear, but there needs to be a more identifiable path to getting me at, at age 12 to understanding if I play here, this is the logical route. If I really want to excel in the sport, I had no idea how to go about getting exposure to coaching i just kind of i had to do all the the legwork i got pointed by wonderful coaches at at a club level um so that definitely helped me a lot um but so many people just have to do the legwork themselves when it should already be available for them to understand those steps and rather than stumbling into it um which i think there's probably more people that experience that than saying oh you go to this club you go to this camp and you're on this team and then you either play college or you go pro or like you know there's there's got to be a hierarchy laid like there had a roadmap you need a roadmap yep i i agree but it's not there no it's not there in the U.S. Um, I this was again back when 
when the the World Cup was going on and you and I were still talking about the the failure to qualify. Um, I believe I remember talking to you about an article I had read uh, considering uh, the the Dutch national team and how literally from the youth levels all the way up through the national team, it's all the same. Everyone is brought up in the same system in the 4-3-3 that the Dutch team has become so good at right in the Netherlands. Everyone knows by the time they're a certain age like what their position is, what their skills are, and how that translates into the system. They know how to, to work within the system uh, by the age of like 14. Right now, U.S. would be a long way off from from being able to do anything like that. But that is is part of you know those clubs and European soccer. You should almost have. So you should almost re, you should almost regionalize styles of play. Yeah, maybe because if you have three million youth, like you don't have to have one major umbrella style. I feel like that would also remove a lot of. Um, character from u.s soccer but if you're able to break it down and be like you guys here's here's three to five styles of play which one like you have a playbook here and this is what you're working with you know like giving them some freedom to choose but at the top level you're understanding what your product's going to look like right That's a lot to unpack. It is. And it, A, we don't have enough time to talk about it in the confines of this episode. B, I don't think either one of us has enough information to feel like we can go for hours and hours like we would want to on this topic. I guess I'll end it on this and I'll let you have a closing statement too if you'd like, but if you are listening to this and are considering coaching, you need to understand the, the cognitive development, physical development, and just creative development stages of youth. You need to seriously take that into consideration. And whether or not you still kind of go off your own style, just understanding that age range and where the development is i think you'll probably see a lot better results in your training if you take that into account so coaching needs to also be a focal point it can't just be pumping these players to europe almost like this whole episode's changed its course of topic but the main point we're trying to push at is if we can't by FIFA regulation get players into the European soccer, it has to happen at a developmental stage in U.S. youth. And we cannot exclude coaching from that process. It has to get better. Yeah, I don't think I could have said that any better myself, Matt. It. It comes from 
if we're going to have that much trouble getting into top European leagues at crucial development ages, uh, then then it has to that level from coaching, right, in the academies and and also not having this pay to play system. It all has to come from the youth level, from coaching, uh, from from a change in U.S. soccer on U.S. soil, right? We can't continue to go about this, have no conformity, and just expect things to get better. What uh, What's the definition of insanity, Matt? I believe you know this one pretty well. Going to grad school? <laughs> uh, no, isn't it something along the lines of... Uh, Doing something over and over and over again and expecting a different result each time. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Yep. So I think with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. It seems kind of like a we really just left that one out there, but I, I agree. I don't know what more we can say on it it's a it's a lot to think about yeah uh let us know your thoughts uh either over twitter at underscore up and over or on instagram at mbfc underscore up and over thanks for listening guys we'll see you next time